0: Time our children will never remember when Baptist churches got up in the middle of service and walked around and shook hands and hugged necks, and not in the post-COVID world, right? Maybe someday. Well, it's good to see everybody this morning. Thank you for being here. We're going to finish up the book of James this morning. If you want to go ahead and turn there in your Bibles, we'll be in James chapter five. And it's been quite a journey over the past several weeks, months, really. We've been beat up. We've been challenged, we've been encouraged, and hopefully it's been beneficial to you as we've got into really some of the more difficult teachings of God's Word. James is tough, but it's been really good. Last week, James did offer us some hope concerning the second coming of Christ. He did give us several warnings and things that we need to do while we wait. And next week, just so you know where we're going, we finally get into December, which is its hard to believe that it's here But we're going to start diving into not Jesus' second coming, but his first comings. We celebrate the birth of our Lord and Savior. We'll be talking about that every week throughout December. And for me, it's one of the, you know, I love Christmas. I love this time of the year. I think it truly is the most wonderful time of the year. We got out and I don't know if you've experienced this yet, but we hung a bunch of lights yesterday slaving over these Christmas decorations. I don't know if that's a a good Christian thing to do with all this material stuff. We can talk about that, but it's there and it's beautiful and it makes me love Christmas. We went and ate and got some hot chocolate and even took a carriage ride around Barberville. I mean, how more Christmas can it get? Anyway, that has nothing to do with anything that James is teaching us today. Just excited for Christmas. But James concludes his letter like many other letters in the New Testament. He, he, he emphasizes the importance of prayer, and he, he also tells us it's a great reminder of everything that prayer can accomplish. We talked already about how we are to pray. James has gave us some, some lessons on that, that we're to pray with faith, that we're to pray without doubt in our hearts, that we're to pray with the right motives in mind. And over the course of his letter, James has emphasized the believer's response to the many difficulties in life. That's how James started. And he keeps bringing this up throughout the book. And he's assured us, guys, these trials, these tough things in life, they're going to come. And he's told us how we're to respond to all of that. One with joy, that we're to trust God's plan and God's will, that we're to remain faithful, that we're to patiently serve the Lord as we eagerly await for his return. But now James takes a shift. In his concluding remarks, he reminds us above all things, in all things, through all things, we're supposed to be people of prayer. Look at James chapter 5, starting at verse 13. James says this this morning. He says, Is anyone among you suffering? He should pray. Is anyone cheerful? He should sing praises. Is anyone among you sick? He should call for the elders of the church, and they are to pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. The prayer of faith will save the sick person, and the Lord will raise him up. If he's committed sins, he will be forgiven. Therefore, confess your sins to one another, and pray for one another, so that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person is very powerful in its effect. Elijah was a human being as we are, and he prayed earnestly that it would not rain. And for three years and six months, it did not rain on the land. And then he prayed again, and the sky gave rain, and the land produced its fruit. My brothers and sisters, if any among you strays from the truth, and someone turns him back, let that person know that whoever turns a sinner from the error of his way will save his soul from death and cover a multitude of sins. One of the timeless principles that James teaches us is that in all things, whether it's the good, the bad, or the ugly, as we've talked about, we are to turn to God. When things are going good, we turn to Him. When things are falling apart and our lives feel like they're crashing around us, we turn to Him. When we're making plans for our future, trying to figure out what to do with this life, we turn to Him. James tells us when things are going great, Turn to Him and sing praise. When things are going terrible, turn to Him in prayer. So no matter what, we always focus on the Lord. And James specifically highlights, one, how we're to pray, but also in these verses, the outcome of these kinds of prayers. Look at verses 14 and 15. James first teaches us, prayer with the church brings redemption. James begins by discussing something that really everyone is going to endure at some point if you live long enough. And that's sickness. And he's talking about literal, physical sickness. These bodies are going to get sick. It's just part of life. He says, but if someone is sick, bad sick, they're to call upon the elders of the church who are to one, pray over them, anoint them with oil and do so in the name of the Lord. And the elders of the church that he's talking about, let's just break this down because James puts a lot in this, these verses. The elders of the church are the overseers or the shepherds of God's people. They're the pastors, the leaders of the church. And then he talks about anointing them with oil. And using oil in the ancient world was a very common thing. Kings were anointed with oil, priests were consecrated with oil, prophets were anointed with oil. And here it's likely that James has in mind this physical action, anointing someone with oil to represent something spiritually, a spiritual truth. This was, then we go on to calling on the name of the Lord. Again, if you read through Acts, if you read through the Gospels even, calling upon the name of the Lord or doing something in the name of Jesus was a very common practice for healings, for exorcisms, even for baptism itself. And when someone does this, they're essentially invoking the name of the Lord, the King, and to do this thing or ask Him to do this thing in His authority and in His power. James says, when you do all this in verse 15, when the church earnestly prays for someone like this, going back to those principles he's already taught us, praying in faith, praying without doubting, praying with the right motives, believing in God's will and trusting in it, he says, three things can occur. He says, first, the person can be saved from their sickness. Now, the word he uses for saved, it's it's when we talk about somebody getting saved, it's the same principle in mind there. When we say somebody is saved or they're rescued or they're delivered from something, that's what James says. They'll be delivered from this sickness, whatever physical illness they have. Second, he says, the Lord will raise them up. So first, God saves them. Then he raises them up. In a sense, to walk in a new way of life, as Paul says. The language James uses here, again, it's amazing the correlations between James and Jesus. It's almost like he knew him. It reflects Jesus' ministry. Think about where Jesus would heal a person, and then he would raise them up or tell them to get up. Many times. It reminds me of the story of Mark chapter 2 with the paralytic. When Jesus heals this person. He raises them up and they're free now to rejoin normal life. Thirdly, James says, if this person has sinned, he will be forgiven. Again, this also reflects Jesus' ministry, right? Think about the paralytic. Makes you wonder. I've often wondered as I read things that James is talking about that Jesus talked about or Jesus did. How close was James to his half brother? Was he in the background watching what Jesus was doing and learning from him, and kind of uh, you know not fully believing at that point? But it makes you wonder, doesn't it? And so Jesus would heal this particular paralytic with the words, "Friend, your sins are forgiven," and he was healed. Jewish thought was that a person's physical ailments that their Problems, their sicknesses, their infirmities were often the result of somebody's sin, whether their own or their parents or somebody else's in their life. And today we actually know that many sins can cause physical problems, right? Sins of gluttony, I I admit, I've committed that one this week over the course of Thanksgiving, and don't tell me you have, and I know you have. But sin of gluttony, sins of drunkenness and drugs and sexual immorality, all these things have the potential to not only affect us spiritually, but to also cause us bodily harm. But even more than the physical problems, which James is talking about, are the spiritual issues that follow this same process. There's a, a sickness, church, that's far worse than cancer. There's a disease that's more devastating than the coronavirus will ever be to society, and it's called Sin. And sin destroys lives. It ruins relationships. It brings death and destruction wherever it goes. But James reminds us, even in this, the church needs to pray. And far more miraculous than physical miracles, as wonderful as that is, I believe when the church prays and sinners are saved, it's the greatest miracle we will ever witness in our lifetime. And the Bible says the Lord will raise them up again to walk in a new way of life. It reminds me again of that story in Luke chapter 5. One that we've learned in Sunday school when those friends brought their paralyzed friend to Jesus and Jesus was healing and He was teaching. And they got their friend as close to Jesus as they could. But they couldn't get to Him because of the crowds. And so they took their friend up on the roof, tore a hole in the roof, and lowered their friend down in front of Jesus. And here's what's amazing. Luke tells us, seeing their faith, Jesus said, friend, Your sins are forgiven. And we know that this man was made well. We have to pray for one another when there's a problem, whether it's a sin problem or a sickness problem. Our job as a church family, as a church body, is to pray for and encourage one another and then watch as God does the work. James then teaches us, verses 16 through 18, that prayer with confession brings restoration. This is one of those parts of the Bible we just like to ignore, right? Nobody wants to get up here and confess all their dirty laundry. However, because we ignore this, we miss out on the healing that James is talking about. Now, again, this is, there's a lot of ways to look at this. There's two types of confession because there's two types of sin. There's community confession over community sin. Think about the nation of Israel confessing their sins and repenting of that as a community. But then there's individual confession of personal sin. There's also two types of healing involved. There's social healing for the community that repents, and there's also social healing for the individual that repents as well. Sin and all of its effects can not only separate us from God, but if we're honest, they actually separate us from other people, right? Sin in your life can cause such harm to the relationships in your life and separate you from those that you love and care about. This was also true in Jesus and James' day. It was Many people that Jesus healed, you think about the lame, the lepers, those that were just simply outcasts because of what was ever wrong with them. When Jesus healed them from their sickness, they were restored to society and able to be part of normal life. But perhaps even more important than all that is the individual healing of the person who confesses their sin, one, to God, but also to somebody else that they trust. And and, and when you do that, This is a tough lesson. We'll have to dig a little deeper into this tonight. But when you do that, you find a healing for yourself that you weren't able to have otherwise. There's healing in confession. Even some mature, strong believers carry around this painful, unconfessed sin. And maybe you've carried it around for many, many years. And even if God has forgiven you and you've confessed it to the Lord and you've hashed it out with Him time and time again, there are some things that you still carry around deep inside of you that still causes you pain. It's just sit there in your heart. And, and as we say in the mountains, it just, it just festered up over time. And it's, it's just eating away at you. And I'm not, I'm not saying that you have to confess your sins to me. Honestly, there's things I don't want to hear. And you don't have to confess your sins to a priest to be saved. However, I can promise you this, that it will benefit you to find that person in your life that you can trust, that you can confide in, and talk about these things and confess things to them because when you do, you will find the freedom, the peace, the release, the healing that James is talking about that you've needed for so long. And when someone is freed from that unconfessed sin, I think they're better equipped to pray, as James says, powerful And effectual prayers. That's what he says next. He says the prayer of a righteous person is very powerful in its effect. The NASB translates it a little better. It says the effective prayers of a righteous man can accomplish much. So James has already discussed how sin, this unconfessed sin, can hinder our prayer lives. And on the flip side, he says the prayer of a righteous person can be very effective and very powerful. He, he, I love how James uses these biblical examples. He uses Elijah as an example here. He says, Elijah was just a human. He was just a man like we are. But he was a righteous man. And Elijah prayed earnestly, and it didn't rain. Then he prayed again three and a half years later, and it rained. And what he's saying, what he's teaching us, is that that power that was available to Elijah to seal up heavens from rain and then open up the floodgates for rain is the same power that's available to us, God's power that we access through prayer. He's reminding us, one, yes, we need to pray, but also that prayer works. That song we sang was so fitting for this because sometimes we pray and we think nothing's happening, but even when I don't see it, he's moving. Even when I don't feel it, he's working. He never stops working, and we participate with God in the work that he's doing through prayer. There's a story of a man from Wycliffe Bible Translators. He wrote something uh, similar to this that they experienced. He said, in 1983, two American students teamed up together to pray for the 40,000 Tira people of Africa. And at this time, they didn't have a Bible translated in their own language. And so these two began to pray for these particular people. Two and a half years later, 1985, two more Christians began to pray daily for the Tira people in Africa. Later that same... No, I'm sorry. In 1990... So seven years after the first two began to pray, in 1990, two people wrote to Wycliffe Bible translators, asking the translators, who can we pray for that doesn't have a Bible in their own language? They said, well, there's this Tira people of Africa that we think you should pray for. And so they began praying. Later that same year, 1990, Wycliffe got news of a Tira man in Africa who was working to translate the Bible into his heart language. And so they wrote to him, and he told them, uh, they told him that all these people have been praying for you, for your people, all these years. And that he wrote back, and this is what he said. He said, First, I'm so grateful. I've never known that there are teams praying. the tier of people this is wonderful news to me and then he'd done some some thinking about the timeline of this he said the same year and month when the first two started praying i got saved (laughs) he said when the next two started praying i was accepted for theological studies now i'm finished He said, the next two can also praise the Lord with me because in March of 1990, a miracle happened. I met a man, a Wycliffe translator, who was able to arrange for me to study biblical translation principles in linguistics. But God also did another miracle. He said, since then, since these people started praying, many young Tira have now become Christians. Today we can say that since those first two people began praying in 1983, the Bible, at least the New Testament, has been translated into their heart language and many have come to Christ. You see, the prayers of righteous people, unhindered by confessed sin, trusting in God's will, not doubting, praying in faith, they are effective and accomplish much whether we see it right now or not. The last thing James teaches us about prayer in verses 19 and 20 is that prayer with compassion brings repentance? It's interesting to me that this is how James decided to conclude this little five chapter letter. James believes very strongly. In the unity of Christ's church. And he teaches us in several different ways over the course of those five chapters. How we are to live together. How we are to work together. How we are to pray together. And how we are to follow Christ the right way. And then he goes back to the need. If you remember, he talked about this at one point. He goes back to the need to lovingly confront a brother or sister who's fallen into sin. He says, "Whoever turns them back, and that word simply means to repent, to help them turn around and go back to God." He says, "In doing this, they will save this person and cover a multitude of sins which could have happened in the future." So, helping that wayward sinner come to repentance first requires a lot of prayer, but it also requires a lot of compassion. And I think this is unfortunately where we miss the mark a lot of times: is we're not always that compassionate. One of my favorite stories in the Gospels is when Jesus looks out at these crowds and Matthew very plainly says these people were distressed, they were dejected, they were like sheep without a shepherd. In other words, life had just whipped these people up one side and down the other. And many of them had probably made some really poor choices. Some had wandered off. Like lost sheep, some had found themselves in this situation because of things, things that had happened to them. I'm sure many others probably found themselves there because of things that they brought upon themselves. But Jesus didn't care about any of that. He saw these people as they were. that They were lost sheep, lost and needing a Savior. And Matthew very clearly says, Jesus looked out at them, at all these people, and He had compassion for them. He was deeply moved in his innermost being in his love for these people. When we pray, I think we need that kind of compassion when we're praying for others. When we have to sit down and talk to that brother or sister face to face and lovingly confront them about stuff, we need to do so with compassion. We need to do so with love for that person, realizing that that no matter what they've done, No matter how lost they are, there's a soul in there that can be saved. So this morning as we conclude the book of James, I just want to ask you where you are. Maybe you're one that you need the church to pray for you. Physical sickness, emotional sickness, spiritual sickness, you just need prayer. Listen, there's nothing wrong with that. Maybe you're here this morning and you have that unconfessed sin in your life. That maybe it's something from a long time ago. And yeah, you know you're forgiven, but it's still just eating away at you like, like a sickness that you can't get rid of. And you need to confess that to someone and find that release and freedom this morning. Maybe you're here and you need to pray for that lost sheep. You need to pray for that wayward person that's drifted away. And and, and why don't you come and do that with compassion and love for them this morning? And the last one is maybe you're that person. Maybe you're that lost person, that wayward person that people's been praying for, that this church has been praying for, that your family has been praying for. Why don't you answer that prayer this morning and be saved? Stand with us as we close in prayer together. James doesn't pull any punches. But he tells us exactly what we need to do. We all need Jesus. We all need each other as well. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father. Lord, this morning we're. We're reminded one of. Our need for you. God, we realize the effects that sin and unconfessed sin can have in our lives, on our relationships, on our faith. God, some of us are just simply carrying around a burden that we can't bear. It could be a physical burden. It could be a spiritual burden. God, I just pray that someone would find the freedom that they need this morning whether it's through confession or repentance. God, if there's someone here that we've been praying for, God, maybe we've not seen things working, but we know that you're working, that you're changing hearts. God, if there's someone here that, that this church has been praying for that needs you, God, I pray that this morning they'd respond in faith. Will we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. We sing a song of invitation this morning. If you need prayer, if you just want to pray, if you want to come and pray for someone else, if you need to be saved, if you need to commit to baptism, why don't you come this morning as we sing a song of invitation. Thanks for listening to the Weekly Sermon Podcast. Please subscribe, but also join us live in person on the Court Square in Barberville Or find us on YouTube by searching FBC Barberville. On Instagram at first underscore Baptist underscore Barberville. On Twitter at Barberville FBC or on our Facebook page, First Baptist Barberville.